Good morning. Good to see you here today. Thank you, Missy. Great job. Take your Bibles, turn with you this morning to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. Yes, we will be returning to the book of John in chapter 18, but chapter 14 of Mark. The events in the Garden of Eden, or Garden of Gethsemane, rather, are now complete. And John tells us that the arresting party has bound Jesus and led him away. While Jesus is on the inside being tried for his life, Peter is on the outside facing his own trial of faith. Next time we're going to be looking at the trials of Jesus after our Manna Sunday next week, but the following week we'll be looking at the trial of Jesus. But today we're going to concern ourselves with Peter's trial of faith. But in order to understand what is happening, we need to look back at the fact that Jesus had predicted the test that Peter would face. In Mark chapter 14 and verse 27, it says, and then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But Peter's reaction to Jesus is recorded in verse number 29. It says, and Peter said to him, even if all are made to stumble, Yet I will not be. I am convinced that when Peter made that statement, that he meant it. I believe that he meant it with his whole heart. He intended to follow through, but he had misjudged himself, and we can be guilty of that ourselves. Now, the Lord answered Peter's boasting in verse number 32. When he says, assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. This is followed by more loud denials and pitiful declarations of loyalty. And then in verse 31, it says, but he spoke more vehemently, that is, Peter If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. Now I want you to note that this verse says that not only Peter, but all the disciples repeatedly declare, Lord, I'm with you. I'm with you all the way. I'm willing to die with you. Yet only a few hours later... When Jesus is arrested and led away, only two of his disciples follow along. Peter and another unnamed disciple who is most likely the apostle John. When they reach the high priest's house, John is allowed into the courtyard because he is known to the high priest. And then John comes back to the gate talks with the young girl who's watching the gate so that Peter also might be admitted 
into the courtyard. So now turn, if you would, to John chapter 18 and verse number 12. Then the detachment of troops and the captain and officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. And they led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Many still considered Annas the true high priest. Now it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went in with Jesus into the courtyard with the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside. And then the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, you are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. And now the servants and the officers who had made a fire of coals stood there for it was cold and they warmed themselves and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. This morning we're going to look at Peter and his connection with the fire. First of all, we're going to look at Peter at the fire. It's interesting to note how John repeats the phrase concerning Peter that he was standing and warming himself. He says it in verse 17, and he has it again in verse 25. At first glance, this appears innocent enough. But it is evident that Peter is trying not to identify himself as a follower of Christ. He was trying to fit in with his surroundings and most of all, not to do anything to attract attention to himself. Matthew Henry wrote many, many years ago, those that warm themselves with evildoers grow cold toward good people and good things. And those that are fond of the devil's fireside or in danger of the devil's fire. We notice, first of all, Peter's first denial found in verse 17. The first temptation to deny the Lord is very subtle. The keeper of the door, a young slave girl, asked Peter a question in verse 17. You are not also of his disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now, the slave girl didn't ask him if he was a traitor. She didn't ask him if he was a blasphemer. She didn't ask him if he was guilty of treason. She merely asked him if he was a disciple of Jesus. But Peter, despite who the questioner was and her very non-threatening question, he immediately abandons his loyalty to Jesus. It may be said that Peter thought to himself, well, I can't do Jesus any good on the outside. It may be that Peter just wanted to avoid conflict. 
It was really a small compromise of the truth. It gets him in the door, but the problem is that it also sets a pattern. It is so easy to justify the first lie. But now Peter has a problem. He has now stated that he is not one of the disciples of Jesus. Leon Morris says the challenge when it comes was a gentle, as gentle a challenge as can be imagined. It was not a man, but a woman. Not a free woman, but a slave. Not a mature woman, but a girl. The word also found in this scripture gives reference to John who is already present and known by the high priest family. The question is expressed negatively, and it expects a no answer. Peter does not disappoint the servant girl, for his answer is, no, I am not. Peter at this point did not want to be identified as a Christian, a follower of Christ. That danger still remains today. How often have we found ourselves in situations with friends or business associates when some matter related to Christianity or the Christian faith arises? At such times, each of us faces the danger of trying to hide our faith when we are among unbelievers. And every opportunity that we have to stand up for Christ but fail to becomes another denial. Can it be said of you? Well, when they're with Christians, they act like a Christian. But when they're with non-believers, they act like them as well. But frankly, the world doesn't need believers who act like chameleons who call themselves Christians when they're in church, but attempt to go unnoticed when they're in the world. The world needs Christians who are bold enough, the Apostle Paul says, to be lights in the world. He says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of, of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. A sad fact of trying to live with one foot in each part of the world is that we end up not feeling a part of either one. One can easily see several causes of Peter's failure, but I'm just going to mention two of them to you this morning. First, he had his confidence in the wrong place. Peter said, even if all the others desert you, Lord, I will not. Peter was so sure of himself. This is an obvious sign of spiritual pride. The Apostle Paul cautions us in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed 
lest he fall. The one who thinks that they cannot fall into sin is the one who is in the most precarious position of all. And secondly, he did not appreciate his own weakness. Peter's basic problem was that he had an inflated opinion of his own strength. He really doesn't know himself at all. He does not understand the deceitfulness of his own heart. The prophet Jeremiah said, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We all know what it's like in a revival meeting or at a church camp to make promises. But then when life gets difficult, we abandon those promises. We mean to live up to our commitments, but in the darkness where there is no cost to be paid for our commitments, we say, "Uh uh-oh, I realize now what it may cost me. Secondly, we look at Peter in the fire. When Peter, when Jesus was on trial inside, which we will look at next week, Peter was on trial outside. In the face of fear, Peter denied Jesus before the world. Each of the gospel writers gives us an account of denial of Peter. All of them show that Peter denied the Lord just as he had predicted. Three times Peter is confronted concerning his relationship with Jesus and three times he denied that any such relationship existed. We've looked at the first denial, now look at the second denial in verse number 25. Then someone in the group in the group took a good look at Peter. And then verse 25 say, now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore, they said to him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied and said, I am not. Peter firmly denied that he was one of Jesus' disciples. Notice how he keeps slipping deeper and deeper. The further you go with a lie, the harder it is to turn around. Now look at the third denial. More time passes. And this time a relative of Malchus, the man he cut his ear off, asked the question. This time the question is different. While the other two questions expected a negative answer, This time, an affirmative answer is expected. Verse 26, one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter had cut off, said, did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter then denied again, and immediately a rooster crowed. Luke's account contains one detail that the others omit. Evidently, the guards were leading Jesus through the courtyard just as Peter denied Jesus for the third time. In that tiny 
moment of time, Peter cursed, according to Matthew 26, 74, the rooster crowed and Peter looked up and he saw Jesus looking directly at him. I submit to you that that is a look that Peter never forgot. I don't believe that Peter ever forgot the look in Jesus' eyes. It says in Luke 22, verse 61 and 62, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And so Peter went out and wept bitterly. Perhaps the greatest pain for Peter was when he saw Jesus standing there looking at him, not with anger in his eyes, but with compassion. With the eyes of the Lord upon him, he remembered his rash promises and he remembered the Lord's tender warnings. And in an overwhelming sense of guilt and remorse, he fled the palace. Peter's pride was shattered by a common rooster. Now, there really is no doubt that Peter truly loved Jesus. And now he knew how much he had hurt Jesus. And I wonder if you've ever stopped to consider how much your sin hurts Jesus. The third thing we see is Peter on fire. Peter is a testimony to all the hopeless and guilt-ridden believers who feel like failures. When Peter failed the Lord so miserably, he probably thought he would never be used again. Perhaps some sin has thrown you to the ground. And now it stands over you and keeps you down with the thought that you can't be used by God again. If that's the situation in your life, then I want you to pay special attention to the remainder of Peter's story. When Peter was alone with God and his conscience caught up with him, he repented. Luke tells us that Peter ran from the room and wept bitterly in Luke chapter 22 and 62. But Peter's redemption was because his repentance was genuine. Not because he wept, but because he was changed. Judas also wept. Matthew chapter 27 The King James Version says, and Judas repented, but his was not true repentance. His was remorse, and there's a big difference between remorse and repentance. Judas wept, but he was not changed. One proof that Peter's repentance was genuine was because when Jesus was risen, The angels told the women who went to the grave, go tell the disciples and Peter. I love that little phrase, and Peter. 
because it displays the wonderful mercy and forgiveness of the Lord Jesus. Peter is singled out by name, and it's as if the angel were saying, make sure you tell Peter. Jesus not only knew that Peter had failed, he also knew how Peter felt. It's comforting to notice how Jesus dealt with Peter's failure. Peter is discouraged. And he really seeks to just quietly resign from his position as a disciple. The remainder of the story is found in John chapter 21. John chapter 21 and verse 3, Peter says, I'm going fishing. In saying that, he's not just saying, I'm going to take a day trip and go try to catch a few fish. I think he's implying that he's returning to his occupation as a fisherman. He's saying, I'm going to return to what I did before I failed the Lord. John tells us the secret to forgiveness in 1 John 1, 7. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We find another fireside chat between Jesus and Peter on the seashore and recorded in John chapter 21. Peter was embarrassed by his failure and he felt unworthy. Now Jesus has risen, has sought him out, and with great compassion he dealt with him. John chapter 21 and verses 15 through 17, three times Jesus asked Peter if he loved him. Three times Peter had denied him, and so now he asked him three times, do you love me? In so doing, Jesus is saying, you denied me three times, And three times I've forgiven you. Now get busy and tend my sheep. It's wonderful to know that no matter how badly we have failed Jesus, that he stands ready to forgive us and to restore us to usefulness again. But the Lord doesn't just cleanse us so that we will feel better about ourselves. He cleanses us in order that we might be useful once more. After his fireside chat with Jesus, Peter was restored to service. On the day of Pentecost, as recorded in Acts chapter 2, Peter stood to his feet and before a huge crowd proclaimed Jesus with the result that some 3,000 were saved. Now there's just two points I want to make with you in closing today. First, Satan does not always attack us at our point of weakness. In fact, he often attacks us at the point of our perceived greatest strength. It's interesting to consider how our natural strengths can become the point of our greatest failures. Why is that? Over the years, we learn to depend upon those strengths rather than to depend upon the Lord. 
If we rest in our strengths, then we will surely be blindsided by our sin. And secondly, God can redeem your mistakes if you let him. Please consider the fact that Peter accomplished more for Jesus after his fall than he did before. Before his failure, Peter was loud and proud and unreliable. But afterward, when he bragged, it was on the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for each one that has been so faithful to be here this morning. There may be those who are here this morning that have felt that failure in their lives and may even now be allowing that failure to keep them down. I pray that they might repent of that sin and then they might turn to you and accept the forgiveness that you so freely offer. We want to be used by you, God. We don't want anything to be in the way of our usefulness, whether it be a strength, a failure, whatever it may be. We ask, Lord, that you'd come into our lives, that you'd give us what we need to be the followers that you desire us to be. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to have a closing hymn. If you're here this morning, God's spoken to you in some way. We want you to have an opportunity.